0: I'll be reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Chad. And uh, thanks, you guys, for leading us. That's a great song. How marvelous, how wonderful. It's our Savior's love. It is really good stuff. Thank you. Morning, everybody. You guys are awake. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that Uh, for those of you that are new. My name is Frank. I am also one of the pastors here. I am the only one on staff not named Sean. So that's why I'm special and unique. So that's really fun. I want to get this out of the way. A lot of you have been asking about this and I appreciate it. So I'll just give you one overview. Uh, I was in Boston last week for the Boston Marathon. Very exciting. I'd never been to Boston before, although I've been to lots of East Coast cities, never been to Boston. Boston is wonderful. It was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, if I could just remove the four hours and ten minutes it took me to finish the marathon from the trip, it would be the perfect trip. Um, I'm going to whine a little bit now. Usually for the Boston Marathon, weather-wise, they are concerned about freezing rain. They did not have that concern this year. It was 90 degrees during the race and it was absolutely brutal. They were begging people not to run. They offered deferments for the first time in the history of the Boston Marathon. You have to qualify for Boston, so they were offering deferments to people. They could just um, uh, take their application and registration and apply it to next year if they didn't run this year. They did not want anybody to run. Uh, there were a number of people that had cl- that had collapsed and were carted off the the um, course during the race. I saw guys younger than me and in better shape than me and better looking than me that were getting carted off uh, during the race. Thankfully, nobody died. Um, but it was I've run 16 marathons. That was my slowest marathon ever I was happy just to finish and get my little medal and that was exciting um, I will tell you though I, in spite of all of that I did win my division I'm so excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, now, now I got gotcha. you. Yeah, my division is 53 year old white males from Phoenix, Arizona named Frank Switzer Who were bo- who went to North High School in 1977 and are married to somebody named Jackie? and are Irish so I won that division all I had to do was get my little booty tang across the finish line and I was able to win that finish so uh, win that division so that's good Um, thanks for asking and thanks for tracking me those of you that did that was really fun Uh, and now Tyler is in Boston I'll explain that in a minute uh, also so it's been a big Boston week for the staff here a couple of other things I want to mention I want to talk a little bit about parking for just a minute I know we've got parking issues here and it's a pain in the neck, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and it's challenging. Um, I I, I just want to say, first of all, we really are thankful and appreciate this rehab center over here. They have always allowed us to park here, and that's actually our biggest parking lot in many ways. They give us more spaces than we're uh, we're able to have uh, in the parking lot here, Uh, and so we're very thankful for that. That's very helpful. Um, And so if you get here early enough, you can park right across the street there. There's lots of spaces over there. Uh, We also have parking at at Phoenix Seminary across the street where the four-story building is. And that is covered parking over there. And they allow us to park there as well. And then we have the uh, police officers uh, who do traffic control so you can get back and forth across Thomas. So that's a really good place to park, especially rolling into summer. That might be the best place to park. Um, The thing that we're concerned about is the neighborhood parking. Uh, I want to make sure you understand it's okay to park in the neighborhood Um, That's part of the deal, but we are struggling with parking in front of people's uh, Driveways Uh, and in in, in fact one in particular that we seem to have subconsciously targeted one family one house uh, just south of us Uh, a number of times we have blocked them in And uh, I had a nice conversation with a guy this week about it. And I have to tell you, I went into that conversation prepared to eat dirt. And this guy could not have been kinder and more gracious he, he all he did was say listen, I am so happy that you guys are doing well. This is exciting. I'm a believer myself I just don't go to your church and Sean Morton said said well tell him he could walk to church if you want to our church, but um, <laughs> But I'm really excited But 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 we just want to be able to leave our house on Sunday morning if you could just tell your people that And and, and I said yes, I will so just be be aware of your surroundings uh, one of the things I did do with this guy was I gave him my cell phone number and encouraged him to text me Anytime somebody parked in front of his driveway with the description and license plate number of the car So that um, during the sermon if I get a text I can just say hey if you own an F-150 that's white with light So I just stop in the sermon and call you guys out. I'm kidding. I won't do that. So anyway Just be aware of, of, the, of the neighborhood. I, I would really appreciate that. It's exciting to have uh, actually problems like that Just don't tell him I said that. Um last thing is um, at the connect bar we have things called connect cards and some of you have filled those out and we appreciate that and uh, I love getting those because um, uh, in addition to being able to contact you and connect with you which is the point of a connect card which is helpful so that I can ask you a little bit more about or somebody on the staff can ask you a little bit more about how we can serve you Um, on the other side of the card uh, you can check off things that you're interested in or have questions about, which is very helpful. So if you want to know about Wednesday night classes or about uh, redemption communities, which are life groups, uh, whatever that is, we can really direct you into things. But the, the thing that I want to mention this morning that seems to get underutilized, in my opinion, and maybe it's because we've never brought attention to it, is the bottom half of the back half, uh, backside of that connect card uh, is a place where you can fill out a prayer request. So if you have things that you need people to pray for you about and I'm we're not broadcasting this but the staff will see your prayer request and I will tell you I see every one of those connect cards and I pray for every one of those uh, prayer requests every week and so If you're looking for somebody to pray for you uh, about some uh, something that's going on, I would highly encourage you if nothing else to fill out that part of the connect card and let us know how we can pray for you. That would be uh, really helpful and we'd be happy to do that and be able to serve you uh, in that way. So let's get down to business. We are in week three of this series called Who is this? It's a series about Jesus. We're answering questions about Jesus. And the reason we named the series, Who Is This?, is because as you read through the Gospels and you watch people encounter Jesus, whoever they are, if they're just uh, normal everyday people, or if they're the professional religious people of the day, or if they're people who are um, uh, in terrible shape and, and need healing, wh- whoever, they, whoever they are, every time they would encounter Jesus, and no matter what he did, whether he confronted them or taught them or healed them or prayed for them or just hung out with them, almost every time they would walk away from their encounter in Jesus and ask either themselves or generally the people who they were with, they would say, who is this? And then often they would fill in the blank after that. So you look at Luke chapter 5, Jesus not only heals this guy, which really aggravated the professional religious people, they did not like that one bit, but even more aggravating to the professional religious people, Jesus also told this guy that he healed your sins are forgiven that really got the uh, professional religious people mad because only God can forgive sins and so they recognized that what Jesus was doing was he was saying I am God that really hacked them off and if you read that story you see at the end of the story they're going who is this who blasphemes God and so this is the reaction that people have to Jesus and so we're trying to answer some of those questions so the first week of the series Easter we answered the question who is this that who rose from the grave Uh, last week Tyler talked to you about who is this who exposes darkness and brings light and today we're gonna talk about who is this who was sinless Jesus was sinless and so we're gonna talk about the fact that he was sinless and is sinless and more importantly we're gonna talk about what that means to us okay so Jesus is sinless so what how does that affect my life And we are going to tackle that today. So let me pray, and then we'll get started. Holy God, we uh, thank you for your son and the fact that you sent him here, that he was sinless, that he lived this life so that we could have life. And now as we open your word and study it, we just pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to us, teach us, encourage us, challenge us, comfort us, give us wisdom, give us hope, Show us your love and your mercy. That's what we ask today. We ask you to bless us and help us to glorify you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start by taking just a little bit of time before we get into the bulk of it uh, by showing that the Bible is very clear about this notion that Jesus lived his entire life completely sin-free, sinless. And, and, and you've got to know that is a remarkable thing. Now, I I don't want to speak for you here, but so I'll speak for myself Uh, to imagine or think about anybody who lived on this earth for 33 years and did it without ever committing a sin in thought or in deed is just something that I struggle to, to get my mind or I, I, whatever the stature of the person, whatever the nature of the person, it, I just struggle to get my mind around it, and one of the reasons is because and I, and I assume that i 'm fairly representative of the human condition. in other words, this would be the same for you, but um, uh, one of the reasons I struggle with it is because I, I sin all the time and, 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 and here you go let me, let, me, let me give you an example for instance. I'm fairly certain that every time I get into a car, I sin, either in word or in deed or in attitude. I mean, I, I, just, I just, there's something about a car that it's, it's, it's bad for me, you know. I'd probably be better off if, if, I, if I didn't drive. Uh, Chuck Swindoll once said that the last part of a Christian's body to be sanctified is their right foot. Because that's the one that presses the accelerator, and I will tell you, I like to press the accelerator. Okay, I will talk to people at intersections when the light turns green. Um, you know, they don't hear me, but the windshield hears me. I mean, and all that, and and that's not even to mention my attitude, like when I'm on. I mean, it's 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 just it's. By the way, um. Here's some Tyler. You know Tyler Johnson, okay. So he doesn't have a problem with with cars and traffic and all that. It's it's amazing to me. I've driven with Tyler and I have driven behind Tyler when he didn't know I was behind him. Tyler never sins when he drives. He never goes over the speed limit. He never gets angry at any other driver. He allows people to just make him eat dirt when he's driving, and he, does, he, is, he is the most gracious. It drives me crazy. I can't stand him, but he is the most gracious driver I've ever seen in the world. But I will tell you that Tyler has other areas of his life in which he sins. So maybe traffic isn't a deal for you like it is for me. Maybe you have other areas of your life where you have a sin deal. Maybe you have more than one area of your life where you have a sin deal like I do. Whatever it is we are all sinners and to think that somebody lived their life without sin is remarkable That's the point though. Jesus didn't have a sin deal in any part of his life. He never committed a sin We even have a passage in in the scriptures in the Gospels that talk about um, When Satan came and tempted Jesus And he came at a time when Jesus was at his weakest which is by the way when Satan likes to come and tempt us as well Satan knows when we're weak He knows when we're tired. He knows when we're frustrated. He knows when we're emotionally and physically worn down. And that's the time when we slip, right? Okay? Most often, okay? And that's when he attacked Jesus. Jesus had been out in the wilderness for 40 days and nights. He had fasted. He had been praying. He was spiritually strong, but he was weak in every other way that you and I experience. And so Satan goes right at him. And Satan goes at him with three things that are generally sin centers for you and I. He goes after him with food. Okay, I, I, I'll just tell you, one of the reasons I run is because I am not disciplined when it comes to food. Okay? I, I have three food groups, puffy Cheetos, butter pecan ice cream, and donuts. That's essentially it. Okay? And, and uh, I don't even know where I get my, well, I get the, my protein from the pecans and the butter pecans. So that, that's essentially it. So food's a big deal for me. Uh, He also tempted Jesus with the idea of testing his father in a negative way Not in a way that God might ask us to test him in a positive way But he said test him in a negative way And then he also went after Jesus with the idea of power And power is a big weakness for for all of us as well So all three of those things uh, are probably sin centers for most or all of us But it didn't even phase Jesus He didn't even flinch He just kept Answering Satan with Scripture, and and he never caved in the way we do. So he was sinless. Here are three verses. You don't need to turn to them. If you're a note taker, you can write them down and look at them later. But here here are three verses of many that talk about his sinlessness. First Peter chapter two verse twenty two, Peter writes, Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Second Corinthians five twenty one, Paul writes, for our sake Jesus um, God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that would be Jesus, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And then Hebrews 4.15, which is what Chad just read, uh, the author writes, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet is without sin. So, So Jesus was sinless, what does that mean to us? Three things. First of all, it means that he's approachable. It means that we can actually go to him. I know that sounds weird. It it might be, you might think, well, it'd be hard to to approach somebody who's sinless. I'm gonna explain why it's easy and bold. We should be bold to approach him because he's sinless. Second of all, his sinlessness is, is given to us as a gift to make us righteous. We are now the righteousness of God, Scripture tells us, because he was sinless. And then the third thing is that because he was sinless, we can trust that he really is God. He he is God because he never sinned and that he really loves us because of what he did on the cross. So we're going to look at those through three things. So first, Jesus was approachable. Now, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, we'll go back to that passage that um, Chad read and we'll unpack it a little bit more in context. So that we can understand why it is that we can boldly and with confidence approach Jesus. So, Hebrews chapter 4, kind of towards the end of the Bible. And we're looking at verses 14 through 16. So, here's what the author of Hebrews writes. Since then, we have a great high priest. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about a, what a high priest is, what that means. He's talking about Jesus. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus the Son of God let us hold fast to our confession in other words uh, we can be confident to hold on to the faith that we have in Jesus let us hold fast to our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet he is without sin let us then with confidence or boldness is another way to Uh, Translate that word. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, the, the throne of God, the altar of God, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, I want you to think about this. Look at verse 14. Think about this. Every priest, every pastor, every minister, every reverend, every cleric ever in history has been sinful, has been a sinner. All of us, flawed imperfect and defective every last single one of us it doesn't mean that we can't be ministers it doesn't mean that we aren't called god calls us this is the system that he has chosen to use to express the body of christ that's the way it is but nevertheless we are imperfect even those uh, high priests of the old covenant mosaic law two and three thousand years ago even they were sinful even they were flawed even though they had the hats and the robes and all the pious looking stuff they were also sinful as well the only difference between them and uh, 21st uh, century clerics today is that we have better technology by which we can sin that's the only difference between us and them but now jesus is the perfect high priest he is a high priest without sin now what is the high priest Well, the high priest did a number of things. He was the one guy special in charge of all of the other priests. He was the preeminent priest of the Old Testament um, Mosaic Law and the Old Covenant, uh, executing the sacrificial system. He oversaw all ritual worship. He was in charge of all sacrifices, all forgiveness of sin. He would uh, sacrifice the atoning sacrificial goat on on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And he would also release the scapegoat uh, into the wilderness on Yom Kippur. Um, He was the only one who was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, which was the central part of the temple, where nobody else, no one else was allowed to go in there. He was only allowed to go in there once a year. He could do that. Um, And he was also the main representative between the people of God and God. But he was still flawed. He was still sinful. He still had a sin nature. He was still tempted by fraud and corruption and deceit and lust and maybe watching Jersey Shore. He still had these problems and these struggles and these challenges. But now Jesus is our high priest and he is perfect. And he is without sin. He is a sinless high priest. He is the leader of our church. He oversees everything that we do the ministry the worship the praise the preaching everything he oversees it He is also the sacrifice for our sins the final sacrifice for our sins So we don't have to have sacrifices anymore. We no longer have to bring animals in here to sacrifice for our sin It is over. It is done with it is finished. So he he doesn't supervise the sacrifices. He is the sacrifice and finally he is our representative between us and God and he does it perfectly he does it uh, sinlessly and he does it with great empathy and that's what verse 15 is about he does this with empathy he can sympathize with us he can empathize with us Jesus knows what it's like to be us because not only is Jesus fully God but he is also fully human he is both man and God. And so in his flesh he understands what it's like to be weak and to be tempted we, we talked already about how Satan tempted him and in his humanity he was he felt the full weight and force of that temptation but he was not able to cave in because he's also uh, a deity he's God so he knows how easy it is to fall into sin he gets it but the paradox is that he did not fall into it he did not cave into it. But he did feel the full weight and force of the temptation. Um, There's a preacher from a couple hundred years ago that illustrated it this way. He said, let's say you got two uh, identical trees on a hill and a ferocious windstorm blows in overnight and it blows for like eight hours and it's just very strong winds. And within the first 10 minutes of the windstorm, one of the trees just uproots and falls over the other tree Weathers the storm for all eight hours, and the next morning that tree is still standing there. The question is, which tree felt the full weight and force of the wind? Well, actually, it's the tree that was able to stand. This tree never really felt it because it just caved in. This is the tree that actually felt the full weight and force of the temptation. This is the tree that is Jesus. He's the one who felt the full weight and force of temptation never gave in to satisfy that temptation to to end that that force and that weight he's the one that stood strong the whole time and so he really does sympathize with us. He understands how difficult it is. So he felt that weight and temptation and therefore verse 16 tells us because of that we can boldly go to him with our requests with our sorrows. And with our sin, we can bring our sin to Him. And, and listen, I think this is really big. As a, as a fellow sinner, I understand that when we're caught in sin, pretty much the last place we want to go to is someone who seems to have it all together, who is living the perfect Christian life, the perfect little Christian Twinkie. Th- that's kind of the last person we really want to go to because we're, we're kind of intimidated by that person. We'd rather go to somebody else who's messed up and kind of commiserate with them, you know? Jesus is perfect, so it sounds like we wouldn't want to go to Him, but here's why we can go to Him and why we should go to Him with boldness and confidence. Because when we go to Him, He's not going to offer us advice, but rather He's going to give us Himself and He already has given us His life. He's not going to point His finger at us and tell us what to do. Rather, He's going to say, I've already given my life for you, so just live in my life. Be with me, be connected with me. Now, we have the teachings of Jesus. And I am not saying that we should ignore the teachings of Jesus. That's not it at all. I love the teachings of Jesus. Put me down for a yes on the teachings of Jesus. But I've got something even better than the teachings of Jesus. It's his life. And that's why we can boldly go to him. It is really awesome. Also, this is kind of amazing. This last little thing that kills me. Going to Jesus means that we can go to the altar or the throne of God. Now contrast that to what I mentioned earlier about the Holy of Holies, okay? In the middle of the temple was the Holy of Holies, that only the high priest could go in there, and that was only once a year, and they were so scared about going in there, and nobody was supposed to go in there, that when, there's stories about when the high priest would go in there once a year to make that one sacrifice, they were worried that maybe he would go in there and have a heart attack and die in the Holy of Holies, and since nobody else was allowed to go in there, they would have to leave him in there. So what they would do is they would tie a rope around his ankle. So in just in case he did die, they could then pull him out, okay? So this is how bad it is to approach the throne and altar of God. Jesus is saying, no more. You can now approach that throne and altar of God. You can approach the Holy of Holies all you want with boldness and confidence. I think that's a pretty good deal. Second of all, Jesus' sinlessness makes us righteous. The fact that he never sinned makes us have right standing before god when god looks at us he sees the perfection of jesus he does not see the sinfulness of us Uh, now we need to understand again under the old covenant the mosaic law system way of doing things when they would bring sacrifices to god and they would bring sacrifices in many forms it could be uh, animals it could be food it could be financial sacrifices But when you brought sacrifices to God under the old system, the old covenant system, they had to be as close to perfect as they could possibly be. So let's say you had a flock of sheep. If you were going to bring one of those to God, it had to be your very best one. It had to be the one that was going to bring the highest price at market. It had to be the one that was the closest to being absolutely without flaw. You could not bring the oldest, most decrepit, blind sheep with three legs that was about to keel over anyway. That's not right. You can't bring that that sheep to God, okay? Or or, or let's say money. You're going to bring a financial... Uh, offering to God, okay. You're supposed to bring him the first part of the money you get, not the money that you have left over after you've paid all your bills. If you're going to bring a food offering to God, you're not supposed to bring him uh, half a banana that's been sitting on the counter and has gotten kind of rotten, okay? Because you could only eat a half a banana. All right. You're supposed to bring him the full entree. That's what you're supposed to bring him. But because we're sinful and we struggle with this stuff. Um, the people in the Old Covenant would try to figure out how to scam or get around the idea of offering a perfect sacrifice. So they would, they would bring the least, uh, likely part, uh, 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 least likely thing for them to sacrifice because they were trying to scam away their way around. They didn't want to give up their best, their best lamb. They didn't want to give up the, their best money. They didn't want to give up their best food. And so God was getting tired of this. And so in the prophet of Malachi, you don't need to turn there. You can make note of it and look at it later. I'll just read it to you. But in the prophet of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, God is kind of fed up with the fact that, he, that people are bringing, that, uh, bringing him to sacrifice the worst that they have, okay? And so he addresses it in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And God says, a son honors his father and a servant his master, If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? Well, you've done it by offering polluted food upon my altar. In other words, not the best food that you have. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. You're saying that it's okay to despise the Lord's table by bringing bad food to it. And when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept it or show you favor? Okay, so that's like Jan Brewer says, all right, you need to bring me a sacrificial offering, okay? If, if you're going to bring her the worst possible thing that you could bring, and I know some of you probably go, well, that would be what I do. But anyway, she, she would not accept it. That's what, that's what he's saying here. That's what God is saying, so he My wife and I were dog people. I with all uh, All apologies to you cat people. We are dog people. We have always had dogs. We've always had more than one dog at a time. Um, we tend to have flocks of dogs. We like dogs. Okay. Um, and over the years, I've gotten very attached to every one of them in, in some way, shape or form. There is one, though. Um, Little Lassa Apso that I actually had before Jackie and I got married, and he lasted deep into our marriage. Um, his name, I named him Paco, which in Spanish is Little Frank. So, okay, So, but he's a little Lassa Apso, okay? And, and I'm telling you, I was really attached to this dog, and, and so I hung on to him probably a little bit too long. He lived to be 18, and I will tell you, the last year of his life, I'm, I'm sorry to, to have to tell you this, The last year of his life, he was blind. Uh, He was kind of matted because he wouldn't let anybody brush him, okay, or wash him or cut his hair anymore. Uh, He was covered with these things called sebaceous cysts. Uh, He could barely get up once he laid down, and he was suffering from, uh, what is it, congenitive or congestive heart failure, all of those things, all of this thing. So so he would just kind of half stand in the middle of of the living room, not knowing where he was, and just kind of bark. Like that. It wasn't even a bark, it was a cough, okay? So, but here you go. So, God comes and says, I need you to sacrifice one of your dogs. He's expecting me to sacrifice my three year old golden retriever, but I'm going to go to Paco because Paco's about, I'm going to put him down in two weeks anyway. So then I go and offer him Paco. And God's saying, No, you can't offer me that dog. You have to offer me your very, very best. So, God's saying, I'm not into this, this is a big problem. The sacrifice to forgive and pay for your sins has to be perfect. There's no way around this. So Jesus came. We finally have the perfect sacrifice and his sinlessness made him the ultimate perfect and thankfully last sacrifice that we're ever going to have to do for sin. That is really good news. Again, a verse that we uh, um, mentioned earlier, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 messed up here all right there we go second corinthians chapter five verse 21 says this paul says for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god so in other words god didn't just do this to do it he did it for a purpose he did it for our sake for your sake for my sake so that you and i might become the righteousness of god if you have any question about whether or not God loves you that should clear it up That should end the conversation right there. I have two daughters Shelby and Darby ni- Shelby and Darby 19 and 15 And I have to tell you there is no way that I am going to give them up as a sacrifice for anything or anyone But that's exactly what God did with his son No offense against you guys do not take this personally, but I am not going to send my kids to the cross for you It just isn't going to happen But that's exactly what God did for us in Jesus Christ And the only reason he could do it was because Jesus was sinless Jesus had to be able to take our sin on him In order to pay for our sin and suffer the punishment for our sin So that you and I don't have to suffer the punishment you and I don't have to pay for it The only way that was going to happen was was if he was sinless and god did that for us with his son That's how much god loves us. That's the point where jesus is on the cross And he says my god my god Why have you forsaken me the only time when jesus didn't address him as his father and the reason he says that is because it was at that moment that Jesus became our sin and God could now no longer look upon Jesus because he was sin his holiness would not allow him to do it and and Jesus felt the agony and the pain in that moment when he was separated from his father because he became our sin that's how much he loves us and the only reason he was able to do that is because he was sinless so Jesus' sinlessness makes him approachable, makes us righteous, pretty good deal so far. The third thing is that his sinlessness helps us to be able to trust that he really is God. Now, turn to John chapter 10. We're, we're going to spend a few minutes in John chapter 10. This is a, one of my favorite passages in the Gospels. I love this. We're going to start at chapter uh, chapter 10 verse 22 is where we're going to start And let me set the context Uh, Jesus has been out ministering He's been teaching that he had been sent by his father God That he had come down from heaven So he's teaching that he is God That he is the Messiah That he is the one He's performing miracles He's healing people He's doing all of this stuff And people are starting to follow him And Jesus has got now now uh, getting power, and he's getting influence, and this is really aggravating the religious establishment of the day. Uh, m- many of you know people in business or wherever, who have power, and then their power gets challenged, and their power starts to be reduced, and you can watch them react in very negative ways to that, right? Well, these professional religious people I call them the perps They are reacting in a very negative way to what Jesus is doing because they see their power and their influence and by the way their income because that stuff is tied to that they're seeing that go away as Jesus becomes stronger and stronger and more and more liked and more and more people follow him. So they are not happy with Jesus and they're looking for a way to eliminate him and that's what this the the point of this whole conversation here in chapter 10 starting at verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. The feast—we know the Feast of De- Dedication today is Hanukkah. Okay, so it was winter; it was winter time, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Uh, the temple grounds were were pretty big, and there was this one section called the colonnade of Solomon or Solomon's porch, um, that was a long hallway that was covered. Uh, it had a wall, and then it was covered. There was an overhang there. And so people would would tend to stay over there during extreme weather when it was hot during the summer They would go over there for shade when it was cold like it is here in the winter They would go over there to be able to kind of protect themselves against the cold weather. So Jesus is walking in the colonnade of solomon he's walking down there so the jews gathered around to him and they said to him now that greek word that we translate is gathered around him the full weight and force of that word isn't isn't in the english there literally it means they encircled him so if you've ever been walking down a street somewhere and you have like Eight really tough dudes jump out of an alley and circle you. This is what this is the full weight and force of that Greek word. There is a sense of intimidation here. They encircled him as if to say, We are confronting you, we are really going to be going after you. And so they encircled him and they said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Well, They're not interested in information They're not seeking information They are not ignorant as to who Jesus is They're not sitting there going We still don't know who you are Jesus Or who you think you are That's not why they're asking this question They are asking this question in a clear way In a venue and in a context where if Jesus answers I am the one then they're going to be able to do what Leviticus 24, 16 says. They're going to be able to charge him and accuse him and charge him of blasphemy, saying that he's God, and they will be able to execute execute, uh, execute Jesus through stoning. That's what Leviticus 24, 16 says. The congregation can stone anybody who blasphemes God by claiming that they are God. And they don't need a committee meeting to do this. They don't need anything. All, they have the authority to do it. So they're setting Jesus up. This is a trap okay so jesus answered them in verse 25 he said i told you and you do not believe the works that i do in my father's name bear witness about me but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep here's what jesus is saying here's how one commentator says it he says they do not believe because they will not believe i know that sounds circular and redundant but here's what the commentator is saying. The reason they won't believe is because they've already pre-decided through presuppositions that they're not going to believe. It doesn't matter what Jesus could do. Jesus could raise 100,000 people from the dead. He could walk on water for 36 hours. He could finish the Boston Marathon in under two hours and 10 minutes in 90 degree heat. It doesn't matter. They're not going to believe him. And Jesus is saying, there's no point in having this conversation. There's no point in me answering you. You're not going to believe ever because you're predisposed do not believe. You're not part of my sheep. And then he says right there in verse 27, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. He's saying, You're not one of my sheep. You don't hear my voice. You're not listening to me. Many of you know my wife is a volleyball coach. And, and I think it's, I love going to these matches and watching. And usually you walk in and it's a full gym and they're playing down there on the court. And people are screaming and yelling, and it's loud, and I'm, in, I'm a part of that. I'm yelling and whistling and screaming. There's whistles blowing, and there's girls chanting and screaming and cheering and all I mean, it is loud in there. A- and as I watch the game, I, it's fascinating to me because Jackie will be on the edge of the court, and she'll be yelling at her players, and her players are nodding and shaking their head, and they hear her. And 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 it just fascinates me because I can't have a conversation with the person sitting right next to me in those gyms, but these girls are able to hear Jackie. And so I'll ask them, how? What do you do? How does that work? And they and I'm sure this is true in football and basketball and all these other sports too. I assume, but I know it's true in volleyball. These girls say, listen, we just have the ability to tune out all the other noise and just listen for your wife's voice, and then we can hear Jackie. Through the din through the noise through the whistles we can hear Jackie and the reason we can hear her is because we want to follow her we want to hear her instruction we want to win and so we've trained our ears to be able to just hear her voice. Well that's the same thing with Jesus he's the shepherd and his sheep hear his voice and hear only his voice and he's saying to these perps you're not my sheep you can't hear my voice. You're not capable of doing that. Verse 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish, his sheep, you and I, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given, to me is, given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. If you're a Christian today, you can't lose your salvation because you didn't do anything in the first place to get it. God saved you and me and he and no one will be able to snatch you out of his hand. And then the payoff verse is verse 30. Jesus says, he answers the question, I and the Father, we are one. Now in the Greek, the force is even stronger. In the Greek, literally it says, I and the Father, we are one in the same. We are one in the same essence, we are one in the same equality-wise. We are exactly the same. There is no difference other than the manifestation of our personalities. There is no difference between the Father and me. We are both God. I had a Bible professor once who said that there is nowhere in the Gospels where Jesus said that I am God. And I had a very difficult time listening to him the rest of the semester, I'll be honest with you, because it's clear here and in many other places that Jesus says I am God. And if you're still not convinced, look at the response of the perps. They knew he said he was God. Look, verse 31. The Jews picked up the stones again to stone him. Why? Because he said he was God. This is, this is Leviticus 24. And Jesus answered them, Have I shown you many good works from the Father? For which of them are you going to stone me? In other words, I'll, I have not sinned I have not committed any sin I have not spoken deceptively I've not lied I've not lusted I've not done anything wrong I've only done good I've healed people I've taught people Uh, the only thing I have done is made this world a better place for what of those things are you going to execute me he asked him and so then the Jews answered him in, in verse 33 The Jews answered him, it is is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself to be God. There you have it. There you have it. They claimed that Jesus said he was God. Jesus was God, and the reason he was God was because he was sinless. He was able to do all of those good things. And, And let me inject something else here. Right here, so you're standing there, you're Jesus. These guys pick up stones. And by the way, they're not picking up pebbles. They're picking up big stones. They're going to kill him. All right? If Jesus had been misunderstood at that point, this is the time when Jesus would have said, Oh, guys, 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 hold on there. We have a little misunderstanding. I never said that I was God. I said I have a dog. Okay? You misunderstood me. I'm sorry. Okay? but did jesus do that did jesus say hey wait a minute we have a misunderstanding let me explain i never said i was god what i what i did say was that i was doing god he never did that in fact he stuck with his story and he went all the way to the cross and he sacrificed himself on the cross for you and i so that we could approach him so that we could be righteous and so that we could trust that he is god and so that we could know that he loves us that much, that he was willing to go all the way. He didn't have to do this. Sometimes we assume that God had to do this because we sinned. That's not true. God didn't have to do this. He didn't do it grudgingly. He did it because he loves us desperately. So, so understand, in his sinlessness, you and I are able to approach God boldly, with confidence, with confidence, We are righteous because of that. God, I know you don't feel righteous. I don't feel very righteous either, especially in traffic, as I said, okay? But when God looks at me, he sees a righteous Frank because what he really sees is Jesus because he took my place. So we can approach him, we're righteous, and we can trust that he's God and know that he loves us. It's very powerful stuff. Essentially, we're Romans 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus is 2 Corinthians 5. He was not sinned, but he was made sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, if you're already a Christian, this should be great encouragement to you. And it should also affirm who you are in Christ, which is exactly what Hebrews 4 says. Because of this, we can have confidence in our confession. We can have confidence in our faith so this should be very encouraging to you if you're not a christian if you haven't crossed that step to belief here's what at least it could tell you it could tell you that you have a savior who loves you who is approachable who will make you righteous and you can trust that he's god and that should be encouraging as well jesus is awesome let's pray together holy god we thank you For this teaching we thank you for the truth of it we thank you that you sent your son and that he willingly from his love came down here to be the sacrifice that we needed the final sacrifice for our sin so we thank you for all of that and we just ask you for courage to be able to live in it we ask it in Jesus name amen